in a sex-saturated society. So is it any wonder that many of us struggle with lust? We desire to be free, but we don't know how to stop. Building a life of sexual purity doesn't happen overnight. And like any building project, it is always best to use the right tools for the task. Well, welcome to the Point of Purity podcast, a weekly study filled to the brim with all the tools from Scripture you will ever need to build a lasting life of biblical purity. Each episode is designed to help you discover how to skillfully handle the Word of God as you choose to live in freedom. Well, I'm your host, Steve Etner, and welcome to episode number one. And so we begin a journey that hopefully you will stay with us on from week to week as we dive into the Word of God and discover God's will for our lives as it relates to purity and godliness and integrity. I am excited to take you on this journey along with me, but today I'm not so excited. (laughs) I'm not proud to share with you my story. I'm not proud of what I've done. and In fact, quite the opposite is true. I'd rather not tell you at all, but I think it's important for you to know our story so as you dive into these episodes, it begins to click and make sense with you what we're saying. As you listen to this particular episode, my desire for you is probably best described in Isaiah 66, 4. It says, when you hear this, your heart will rejoice. The hand of the Lord will be made known. I want you to see not the sin, but our Savior. I want you to experience not the failure, but His forgiveness. I want you to focus not on the problem, but the provider. In Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble. Well, he has redeemed us from trouble, and we are here to say so. Well, this may seem to be a strange opening to a testimony to this episode, but uh, I want to ask you a question. What is sin? First John chapter 5, verse 17 tells us that all wrongdoing is sin. Now, there's a lot of definitions of right and wrong that are circulating in the world today, so if, if we're going to get a proper definition of sin, I think we need to ask, wrongdoing according to whom? Ultimately, neither your judgment of me or my judgment of you is what matters. What either of us define as right or wrong is actually inconsequential because neither of us have the authority or the power to send the other person to heaven or to hell. So what is important is what God says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 warns us, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You will not be standing before me to be judged for your wrongdoing, nor will I stand before you, and for that we both can say a hearty amen. But both of us one day will stand before Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due for what we have done in the body, whether good or evil. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Sin is the transgression of God's law. Well, simply put, sin is is disobedience to God. It's wrongdoing according to God's standards found in God's Word. Would you agree that all of us are sinners, yourself included, and me as well? God said in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, we see that there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. I share this with you so that you can understand that as you are listening to this episode, when Heather and I got married, we both brought sin with us into the marriage. I'm sure that you probably would agree that any marriage is going to face struggles from time to time, right? In our marriage, as you will soon see, I had some serious sin issues that Heather knew nothing about, and I was desperate to keep it that way. At the age of 13, I was introduced to the world of pornography. When coupled with masturbation, that very quickly developed into a full-fledged addiction for me. By the time I was married, I was deeply entrenched in my sin. And like any sin, I was deceived into believing I had it under control. But nothing could have been farther from the truth. Let me interject here for just a moment and talk about the real purpose of marriage. God established the institution of marriage to be a picture, a symbol of His relationship with the church. Our marriages should first and foremost be a picture of God's love for us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, we as men are instructed to love our wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Well, for a long period of time, I was disobedient to that command. I did not love Heather the way Christ loved the church. God created Heather to be my helpmate. God created Heather for me to love and to cherish, and for she and I as a team to show to the world around us God's amazing love. Unfortunately, for many years, I saw our marriage in a totally different light. Because I was self-centered, because King Me was sitting high and mighty on the throne of my heart, I saw our marriage as primarily a means to fulfill my insatiable appetite for sex. I mean, after all, 1 Corinthians 7, 9 says, If you can't control yourself, you should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. By the way, let me quickly add here, I had the wrong interpretation of that verse. You see, marriage is not all about me. Marriage isn't about you. It's not about your spouse or my spouse. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, We should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. Regrettably, for a majority of my life, I chose to live for myself. And since King Me was sitting high on the throne of my heart, everything I said, everything I did in our marriage was mostly for the benefit of King Me. And as a result, I brought my addiction with all of its ugly baggage into the marriage, and I didn't even care. Let me talk with you for a moment about this ugly, horrific, three-headed dragon known as lust, pornography, and masturbation. God created man to be stimulated visually. God's purpose is for a man to look at his wife and find her and her alone sexually attractive. He also wired the male brain in such a way that when we experience that visual stimuli, Our brain releases a chemical cocktail of hormones full full of endorphins and serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, vasopressin, and and a few others to boot. Now, I've been told that the effect that this particular combination of hormones has upon the human brain is more powerful than morphine. And by the way, that's what we become addicted to, the hormones, not the porn. We'll talk more about that in a future episode. What I do know is that that powerful punch of hormones creates a natural high. 
a high that God intended for you to experience only when looking at your wife, only when enjoying sexual intimacy with your wife. That high has been divinely designed by the Creator to bring the husband and the wife together in a sexual union on a regular basis so that you can express a deep love and appreciation for each other. God did not create those hormones so that you could get a sexual pop, a sexual rush, whenever you want, in whatever way you want, with whomever you want. Sexual lust enables us as men to draw that chemical high from other people anytime and anywhere we desire. And when that hormonal cocktail is released, the process of needing sexual expression, of acting out, has begun. We often call it our sex drive. The result of lust, the result of looking at porn, typically ends up in masturbation instead of a sexual intercourse and union between our husband and wife that, that, that God had intended. Now, it's important you understand that this sin, this, this addiction, has at its core deception and lies. The goal really is simple, never get caught. The intention is to feed the addiction, to get that pop, that rush, that high at any cost. And so I became a master deceiver, and Heather had no clue as to the depths of my sin. In August of 1984, God moved us to southern New York, the foot of the beautiful Catskill Mountains. Gorgeous. And at the age of 23, I became the senior pastor of a small Baptist church. Now, it's important that I quickly interject here that, praise God, he richly blessed that ministry in spite of my sin. That wonderful group of believers grew, and together we saw God do amazing things. And yet, having said that, it is with great sorrow that I also say my sin continued to grow in the darkness. Over the years that we were there, I fed my porn addiction with rented X-rated movies and, and other sinful choices, and one day I had an affair with one of the women of our church. I immediately confessed it to Heather. We went to see a pastor in the northern part of the state for some counseling. I'll never forget it. We arrived, we sat in his office, and he immediately proceeded to rip me up one side and down the other, telling me what a horrible person I was. I already knew that. That's, that's why we were there. That's why I was seeking counsel. Picture this if you can. To my immediate left sat my wife, the woman who had given her heart to me, a heart that I had just ripped out of her chest, torn to shreds, spat upon, and then stomped on. This woman was hurting beyond comprehension. And the attack from that pastor got so bad that she began to defend me in front of that pastor. That should never have happened. We left his office, determined we weren't coming back. We felt that no one could help us, because no one understood. We were left alone to try and fix it. But we didn't fix it, because we couldn't fix it. And to be quite honest with you, I wasn't so sure I even wanted it fixed. So, instead of fixing it, I chose to bury my addiction deeper in the darkness. I learned how to live in such a way that I was able to convince Heather everything was better, but it wasn't. In June of 1990, we moved to the state of Michigan, where I became the senior pastor of another small Baptist church. And again, we saw God bless that ministry in amazing and glorious ways in spite of my sin. That, that church grew rapidly. Souls were being saved. Lives were being changed. 
People were growing in their walk with God, and yet I continued to look at porn and masturbate. I continued to lie and deceive my wife every time she thought she caught me. And throughout the 12 years that I was involved and engaged in the pastorate, God allowed me to have two back surgeries, three hernia operations, and serious cancer in my nose, all to get my attention. But unfortunately, like Pharaoh and the plagues of Egypt, I hardened my heart. I wouldn't listen. Like the children of Israel in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 40, I persisted in my former practices. As Deuteronomy 143 says, I rebelled against the Lord's command, and in my arrogance I marched onward. Did you know that God says in Deuteronomy 18, verse 19, I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words. Will call me to account, God did. Four years later, we moved to northern Indiana, where I became a youth pastor. Now understand that much like Jonah, I kept running from God. And as I did, I I was dragging my family with me. Each church that I moved our family to, I did so because I didn't want to give up my addiction to porn. So I was trying to run from the convicting power of God. (laughs) It's kind of funny when you stop to think about it. I mean, what a place to run to, right? Makes sense. I I mean, you're running from God, so why not just go to another church? Well, just like God did with Jonah, he prepared a great beast to swallow me up. Having discovered at that time that porn was now readily available on the internet and that much of it was free and very easy to hide, or so I thought, my addiction to lust, porn, and masturbation kicked into high gear, and it finally exploded into another affair. You know, Numbers thirty-two twenty-three warns us, be sure your sin will find you out. Well, this time I was caught and summarily dismissed from the church that I was serving as assistant pastor. And let me quickly interject, rightfully so, I had no business being in the pastorate. Overwhelmed with guilt and an utter sense of hopelessness, I emptied my bank account, our family bank account, maxed out the credit card. I left Heather and our four young children with basically nothing but a broken heart and significant debt. I took our only vehicle, and I ran off with the gal that I was having an affair with. Now, the plan that this gal and I had was quite simple. Enjoy life till the money was gone, and then we'd commit suicide together. That was our plan. (laughs) But God had other plans. In Job 5, verse 12, it says that God thwarts the plans of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. (laughs) God thwarted our plans. I'm so grateful he did. He stopped us a week later, turned us around, and brought us back home. Jeremiah 17, verse 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope and a future. Heather and I are here today because God had other plans. I am sharing this story with you in this episode today because God had other plans and because of God's plans. Heather and I have a hope. We have a future. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart. It is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I don't know what might be going on in your life right now, but let me assure you of this. Whatever it may be, God has a plan for you. So I urge you, stop fighting him. Let him work his perfect will in your life. 
In Psalm 33, verse 11, it says that the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart throughout all generations. Well, I had plans to end my life, but God's plan was to take Heather and I through the valley of the shadow of death so that together we could be used by God to comfort others with the comfort that he was about to give us. This gal and I came back to northern Indiana a week after we had run off, but not to make things right. When we got home, uh, I called Heather. I demanded that she let me into our house to get all of my stuff. I was done with the marriage. I was leaving her and the kids. She convinced me to at least meet with her first and, and talk. So we agreed to meet at the local ice cream shop. And when we arrived, uh, the, this gal and I, we sat on one side of the booth, all snuggled up together, and Heather sat across from us. Now, please understand with what I'm about to share with you that at that moment, I was filled to overflowing with anger and bitterness and hatred, and not, not towards Heather, but toward God and toward myself. All that anger spilled out. No, 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 no. It didn't spill out. It poured out. It exploded onto Heather. I, I said things that I, I deeply regret. I used language I should never have used. I said things that were so damaging and destroying and hurtful to her. And she sat there listening to it all. No anger, no tears, just quietly listening. And when I was done spewing all of my venom, she looked at me and she simply said, I still love you, Steve. Now, <laughs> I need to interject here that I am not married to Wonder Woman. Heather is definitely not Supergirl. There's only one reason why she was able to respond that way that day. All during the week that I was gone, all during that time that she didn't know whether I was alive or dead or if she even cared, my dear, precious, amazing wife was in her Bible. She was on her knees seeking God's face. She was the living example of Hebrews 10.22. She drew near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that only faith can bring. She turned to God and sought His will in all of her life. She fully yielded herself to the only one who could help her. And as Hebrews 4.16 says, she approached God's throne of grace with confidence. And because she did, she received His grace and found His mercy to help her in her time of need. Because she sought after God with all of her heart, because she was yielded completely to the Holy Spirit. In that booth, at that ice cream shop, on that horrible, awful, excruciatingly painful day, straight from the pit of hell, it wasn't Heather saying, I still love you, Steve. It was God speaking through a woman fully surrendered to him, telling me he still loved me. First John chapter 4, verse 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now think about that. God is love. The love that came out of Heather that day wasn't her love for me. <laughs> she didn't have it, not one ounce of it. No, it was God's love. The reason that Heather was able to respond to me the way that she did is because she was so fully yielded to the Holy Spirit that His love, His peace, His patience, His kindness was able to come out of her. Well, I'd love to be able to tell you that was the end of the nightmare, but it wasn't. Heather convinced me to come back home. I agreed. We left the ice cream shop and headed back to my house. And upon our arrival, the pastor, my former boss, was already there. He quickly whisked the girl away, 
Our friends appeared seemingly out of nowhere and took our four young children away for an overnight. And Heather and I were left suddenly alone. No help, no counsel, no direction, no clue what to do next. Needless to say, it was a very long, very rough night. Well, the next morning, I woke up overwhelmed with grief and remorse over everything that I had done. I had a strong feeling of despair. I I had an utterly devastating sense of hopelessness that just washed over me. And to take a long story and shorten it, I attempted suicide that morning. The police came. I was admitted to a local mental hospital. A couple days later, transported by ambulance to a Christian organization in Chicago. A few days later, I was discharged. And once again, no one was there to help us. No one offered to counsel us. We were all alone. And we wrestled through it. We, we figured we were going to have to fix this on our own. But we didn't fix it because we couldn't fix it. In fact, I still wasn't sure I wanted it fixed. I loved my addiction too much. So I continued in my sin. Our marriage was hanging on by a thread. Well, knowing that I was needing some type of help, we went to see another counselor. This one was a professional with Christian in the title. So we thought maybe, just maybe, we'd finally get the help that I so desperately needed. Well, unfortunately, the counsel that we received is what I tend to call the mushy-gushy, get in touch with your feelings, let's talk about mommy and daddy kind of stuff. You know, guys, the stuff that we can take just so much of and then we check out. Well, after a few of those sessions, we stopped going. Again, we felt that no one really understood. Therefore, no one was able to help us. This time, I was determined that since I was, n- I was now older and wiser, yeah, right, maybe I could finally fix the addiction to the pornography on my own. I did make a lame, feeble attempt, but I didn't fix it because I couldn't fix it. Instead, I gave up trying. I chose to bury my sin even deeper. I became more adept, more skilled at lying and hiding my sinful behavior. Over the next few years, I continued to look at pornography on the internet. I had multiple affairs. I had phone sex, sex in chat rooms. I went to strip clubs. I practiced voyeurism. I was even fired from a very successful job because I was caught looking at porn in my office. Well, around that time, we started attending a church that had a full-time counselor on staff. Week after week, Heather and I would sit down with him, and, and he gave us good counsel, but frequently he would tell us it was all Heather's fault. If she had only performed properly, if she'd only met my needs, none of this would have happened. Discouraged, deflated, we finally quit the counseling, we left the church, and once again, we felt all alone. We were helpless, hopeless. We figured we're going to have to figure out some way, somehow to fix this on our own. But we didn't fix it because we couldn't fix it. You see, only God can fix it. Now, we didn't realize it at the time, but the reason for our sense of hopelessness was because both of our eyes were focused on self. King me was sitting high and mighty on the throne of both of our hearts. So because we saw this as a problem that needed to be fixed instead of a sinful heart issue that only God could cleanse, neither of us were strong enough or wise enough to deal with it. Are you sitting here today listening to this episode with a sense of hopelessness or helplessness over a particular sin issue in your life that you just can't get rid of? In Psalm 25, verse 5, David cried out, Guide me in your truth. Teach me. You are God, my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. 
You see, my friend, for Heather and I, our hope at that time wasn't in God. Our hope was in our own ability, or lack thereof, to fix a problem that we were powerless to solve. Psalm 31, verse 24, says that those who hope in the Lord are able to to be strong and take heart. (laughs) No wonder we were so weak and miserable. Oh, my friend, on your own, you will not, you cannot solve your problems, but God can. God has plans for you. Romans 8.28 reminds us that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Did you catch what I just said? All things work together, together for good. And all means all, and that's all, all means. Well, thankfully, God was slowly, methodically taking me to a point where I was tired of fighting with him. He brought me to the spot where I was finally ready to do whatever it took to be rid of that three-headed dragon once and for all. And that, conveniently, is when a layman from our church named Roger entered into my life. I chuckle, I say conveniently, it was all God-ordained. You know, to my surprise, after I told Roger my entire story, he didn't judge me. He didn't lecture me. He didn't point a finger at me. He didn't hand me a bunch of mushy-gushy stuff. He didn't try and tell me whose fault it was. He patiently sat down with me and opened the Bible and shared God's Word. He shared with me a God of the Scriptures that I had never seen before. Hebrews chapter 4, verses verses 12 and 13 tells us that the Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and it exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Well, as Roger and I studied the scriptures together week after week after week, God laid bare my soul. That living, powerful, active word of God showed me what was going on inside my head and my heart. It is, after all, a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 27, 19 says, As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. We do what we do, because in our heart we want what we want. That's why Romans 12, 2 says we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Well, through the reading and studying of Scripture, Roger challenged me, he encouraged me, he prayed with me, he wept with me, and he loved on me. And through his ministry in my life, I began to realize God loved me just the way I was. God still had a plan for me and for Heather. And Roger showed me that the Word of God not only exhorts, it encourages, it heals, it helps, and it gives hope. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. God's Word is useful. It's profitable. In other words, it is of great value and benefit to you in your walk with your Heavenly Father. Oh, my friend, you cannot afford not to be in God's Word every day. If you want to know real change in your life, if you want to experience true victory over all of your besetting sins, it is 
only the Bible that will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. It is only when you hide God's words in your heart that you'll not sin. Can you begin to see what a priceless treasure your Bible is? Can you begin to understand why it is so important to be in God's Word every day? We'll talk more about that in next week's episode. Through my time of studying the Bible with Roger, God used His Word to show me that my struggles with lust and pride, deceit and masturbation were all rooted in sinful, selfish thinking patterns. I was all about King Me. Oh, don't ever forget Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What I think becomes what I do. That is why God commands us in Colossians 3, 2 to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. When my mind was set on me, I was living solely for me. The more time that I invested in reading my Bible the more I came to know God through His Word. I began to build a personal relationship with my Heavenly Father, and I focused less and less and less on what would make King me happy. Well, today, I sit here before you as a pure man, and Heather and I are enjoying a fully restored marriage, all because of God's grace, God's mercy, and God's forgiveness, His amazing power in our lives. Do you remember what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 at the beginning of this podcast? God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. Oh, Heather and I do not have the picture-perfect marriage, but we have learned to go to God with each and every one of our problems. We've discovered that the Word of God has the answer for every situation in life. Oh, don't misunderstand me. We still struggle through our sinfulness, (laughs) but we rejoice in what God is doing in our lives and in the privilege that we have of comforting others with the comfort that we've received from God. You see, today we are blessed to serve God full time taking men and many times their wives as well into the same scriptures that Roger and his, his wife Carol took us to. It is a deep honor and a privilege to share our testimony of God's forgiving grace and restoring mercy to men and women literally across the globe. So if you're struggling with sexual temptation, If you want to discover how to be free from the grip of lust and porn and masturbation, if you want to learn how to be a man of purity, a man of integrity, a man of God, then I encourage you, come back to this podcast each week and learn from the Word of God how you, too, can be free. So, as we conclude this week's podcast, let me share this one last thing with you. No matter what sin issues you may be battling with, no matter where you may be in your walk with God or in your marriage relationship, don't give up hope. Don't quit. Don't allow discouragement to defeat you. God has a perfect plan for your life. God is at work even now molding you into the Christ follower he wants you to be. So stop fighting him. Stop trying to take over the process and trust him with everything. Well, be sure to join us for next week's episode as we talk about how to overcome any temptation. Until then, step up to the plate and be the man God has called and equipped you to be.